Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, where a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. Before us, you heard Sally with Out of the Pan, and Sally is now back in the studio bringing you Out of the Pan every week from Sunday at 12 till 1 o'clock. So make sure you tune in for that, and if you missed that show, you can check it out via the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. And we are gradually making it back into the studio here on Freedom of Species. Adam did the show last week in the studio for the first time in nearly a year. And now we're getting closer. We're, we've got three of us here and we are recording in person. So we're going from sort of Zoom to in person and we'll hopefully be back in the studio soon. Um, but I'm introducing two new Freedom of Species presenters to the show. Uh, so welcome to the show and welcome to the team, Trev and Davita. Hey, hi. How's everyone going? And great to have you both on the team. And today we're going to, we'll be introducing them to the team and and giving listeners a bit of background about themselves. And we're also going to mainly focus around um, ethical consumption. We've got um, a campaign they're going to be discussing with Valentine's Day coming up around chocolate, uh, ethical consumption around veganism, ethical consumption around other issues beyond veganism and all those kind of issues around ethical consumption on the show today. Um, and yeah, I guess maybe we have to start things off, um, Trev is someone we've had on the show before, but do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, yeah, some of the activism you've done and, and how you got interested in animal activism and animal issues generally, Trev? Yeah. So becoming vegan in 2016 was basically around the same time I started doing activism, um, and animal liberation activism was the first that I ever really did. That really opened my eyes up, I think, to being more active with all issues that I'd been sort of a bit more in the background of, supporting in the background, you know, maybe attending a march once every two years or something, but not really getting involved. So, um, yeah, that was great. And I've been involved in a few, like to help organise a couple of the animal rights marches that have happened in the last four years. And I've been involved in quite a lot of the like outreach campaigns of different organisations and volunteering in quite a few of the local um, organisations here in Nam in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Great. And what about yourself, Davida? I know you're doing a bit of research around animal issues and I'm not sure if you've also done activism or just kind of new to that space, but do you want to talk a bit about yeah, how you got interested in animal issues and, and what that has meant to you so far in terms of research and anything mm-hmm. else so far? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely new to the space. Um, yeah, going out on the street, uh, reaching out, talking about veganism, talking about animal liberation. That that is something that I'll be doing for the first time now. And um, it sort of comes from my, 
Yeah, I made the choice to become a vegan three or four years ago. And then it sort of puts you on this journey. It's the first step after which many steps follow. And I feel like for the past one and a half year, I've been balancing this militant vegan that has been coming up inside of me. Like I've always been the polite vegan, like everybody their own path. But now I'm getting to this phase where I actually want to give more voice to the militant vegan inside of me. So uh, yeah, that's... That's something that I'm keen to explore here. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, um, Trev, in terms of your uh, background or some of the stuff you've done in, in recent years has been around like minimum standards in animal activism. And yeah, I guess the idea of advocating for animals, but also, I guess, at the very least, not contributing harm to other causes and issues. Uh, was that something that was in your mind from the start of activism or is that something that you've come to in more recent years? No, it wasn't wasn't really on my mind in the start at all. But um, I remember that my first opening to those sort of thinkings was when I was being involved in the group WACA, Whistleblowers, Activists and Community Alliance. And that's run by some, well, it's in a non-hierarchical way. Um, there's a lot of amazing women activists um, and non-binary activists that um, they taught me a lot in the years that I was really active with WACA and I really appreciate um, everything I learnt. That was a, a steep learning curve for me. And it helped me see, I guess, some of the, the differences between some of the activism circles for some of the human campaigns or human-based rights, social justice issue campaigns versus where the animal liberation space was at the time. And um, I also remember it was at one of the ICAS events that you presented at and you mm. put forward a similar um, presentation about minimum standards and mm. how to at least not, not contribute harm to other social justice issues while trying to advocate for a particular issue. Mm. Um, and in that case, it was being able to advocate for animals without causing harm to issues, say, for feminism or, um, or for, for racial equality and things like that. Mm. So... Um, once I was aware um, from being involved in activism of that sort of gap between where a lot of other spaces are, but the animal liberation movement isn't quite up to speed yet, mm. um, that became a bit of a passion of mine to try and correct that injustice within our own movement, I guess, before trying to take on that approach of changing the world. Mm. I thought, get us a bit better organized first <laughs> yeah yeah and i think there's it's a really important discussion and i think yeah from like an academic perspective there's a lot of i mean there's a growing amount of research on like we need to be intersectional and and mm -hmm. here are some campaigns that aren't intersectional uh in terms of looking at these intersections between various social justice issues and also i guess opposing all forms of oppression not just one particular issue but there's very little written on what does it actually mean in practice like we know some campaigns that that are clearly not intersectional or contributing harm, but what does it actually mean? And uh, yeah, I think uh, Esther Alaun is one mm. is one scholar who's who's uh, written and spoken a lot about that. Like she was saying, it doesn't necessarily have to mean animal advocates have to campaign on every single issue, mm. for example. And that sort of got me thinking, well, what does it mean? And there was also uh, an article on, uh, by someone, uh, her surname is Decker, and she's written... Uh, Manisha Decker? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And she's written about Peter's campaigns. And I thought she was one of the few who kind of actually 
yeah, spelled it out and sort of go, well, no, Peter don't actually have to campaign for feminism, for example, but they need to be informed by feminism enough to not contribute harm to women, for example. So I was sort of building on those ideas in, in my, um, yeah, the talk Trev's referring to, and I guess my thinking around this issue in general of trying to actually, yeah, at least, yeah, set a minimum standard. It doesn't mean vegans can't and shouldn't get involved in other issues, but it's it's sort of fine from my perspective to spend 100% of your time campaigning on animals as long as you're, again, not contributing to those um, other forms of oppression and recognising the legitimacy of other forms of oppression, I guess. Um, and I guess turning to Davida, you mentioned you went vegan um, yeah, four years ago. And was that, uh, was that sort of your sort of road into social justice or had you already sort of made the connection around more human forms of social justice or environmental issues before then? Environmental issues, mm. definitely. Mm. Um, I think what I got involved with first was more refugee um mm. the whole refugee before uh, you were vegan uh, bef- yeah. yeah yeah or maybe just around the time yeah, yeah. so mm. there was this project i was working on within amsterdam where i'm from mm. that um tried to tackle the, yeah, the, the 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 issue of finding housing for refugees that was such a hot debated topic mm. um and people were trying to find creative solutions for you know giving a giving a home mm. on um uh market that is already pretty tight in Amsterdam to people that you want to house in your in your in your in your land um and yeah I think the veganism became more prominent after because especially for the research I'm doing a PhD on um yeah on an animal focused PhD and you read so much about how um how deep ingrained the whole animal exploitation is that that just takes center stage for mm. me yeah. yeah yeah and i was wondering also back to davida as well in terms of coming from amsterdam have you noticed yeah. any differences i think you were kind of new to the animal rights scene there yeah. but any yeah. n- n- differences in the animal rights scene there compared to melbourne or any just difference in um in in veganism more generally so yeah we do have dogs here yeah, very very interspecies <laughs> yeah interview. yeah <laughs> um but yeah any difference in either in the animal activism there or or just in terms of like vegan veganism mm. in amsterdam compared to melbourne from what you've seen so far animal activism i wouldn't be able to say mm. um it wasn't as much on my radar in amsterdam so mm. maybe that's also says a lot about them that mm. you know they weren't there mm-hmm. uh, it might be uh less prominent than here in melbourne mm. but the veganism oh yeah that's definitely um the same yeah there's lots of vegan there's vegan restaurants and in that amsterdam kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's very well established and yeah that's what making yeah that that's what made living in melbourne also so easy just making mm. this change mm-hmm. uh, across the across the globe mm. to just continue my life as a as a as a vegan happy vegan here mm-hmm. yeah so you're saying that Melbourne and Amsterdam are both at a similar level or would one be a more vegan-friendly city than the other? I think maybe Melbourne even is a more friendly, mm. vegan, ah. yeah, fr- mm. vegan-friendly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I often find any sort of city or area that is quite sort of cultural and progressive and kind of the place I'd want to go anyway when I go to a place tend to be quite vegan-friendly as well, which mm. works out quite well. Like, yeah, generally sort of forward-thinking places and, and areas tend to have more vegan restaurants, I've found. Yeah, and yeah. It, and it's not only about the restaurants; mm. it's all, also about the people um, mm. settling, uh, coming into a new country. It's mm. really nice to be able to connect with like-minded people mm. who share your your 
yeah, your vegan mm. passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to also talk a bit um, to Trev about your work at the sanctuary that, that you're doing as well. And I guess thinking with uh, my own dogs who are uh, around us now, um, when we first got them, it was like they're two friendly dogs. And that's still definitely true. But there's also so many, they've got very different personalities, mm. like even though they're both, yeah, yes, two friendly dogs, but they're so much more than that. They're very unique and different in, in themselves. And I'm sure you've found that at the sanctuary too. But I think as a um, society, we tend to view uh, cows, pigs, and chickens just as a species, as a whole, as, as a group, rather than thinking about the individuals. So, yeah, do you want to talk a bit about that and, and sort of what you've learned from your time at the sanctuary? Yeah, I mean, I've mm. spent the most time at the sanctuary with um, chickens, so mm. with hens and roosters. And you're absolutely correct. I'm sure, I'm hoping a lot of our listeners who are vegan would have similar experiences and know that there is a big variety of personalities that you'll get within any species, same with all species and same with humans but um, it was the first time that I've really been able to spend a a lot of time around roosters and I was really taken to how much I really connected with them and liked them Um, they they were so much more relaxed and comfortable and just very cruisy they had this this really really nice attitude and I know whenever I had to pick them up and they're huge because three of the four roosters that were there although now there's one of those three of the four passed away recently, unfortunately. But they were Cornish chickens, uh, which is the breed that's used for broiler chickens in the industry, but we don't like to use that term if we can avoid it. Um, yeah, he passed away at a, a bit over four years old, which is quite good for those chickens because they are, they're very, um, like their bodies just aren't built to take how they grow. Um, they're only meant to survive the first six weeks yeah the yeah. first six weeks not even a matter of months so um it was really sad when al passed away but um and that was just a heart attack quite suddenly as well and i witnessed it so that was really really sad mm-hmm. um but their their personalities and like tony and marlon are the other two of the cornish roosters that are still with us and they they love getting picked up they love getting taken for a walk in in my arms it's it's so funny when they'll just make these really cute little sort of chicken noises and like you know like little things like that and it's like they really enjoy being taken for a ride and um and going looking around and and going somewhere without having to walk so yeah (laughs) I've, i've loved spending time with them doing that um there's also a number of cows at the sanctuary um, most of them are free roaming in over 35 acres, but there's two who are special needs because they're mostly blind or almost blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's Yowie and Mabel. And Yowie's got only maybe 10% vision and Yowie, I'm oh, sorry, Yowie has 10% vision. Mabel has maybe 50%. Mm-hmm. And big difference even between those two. So Yowie has a lot of attitude. If he hasn't had food in a couple of hours and he really wants food, you'll hear about it. The mooing is such a... Such a funny but aggressive tone. It comes from very deep within, like a very deep dissatisfaction with not having been fed. Whereas Mabel's a lot more laid back and she's such a lovely personality. She will have a pat anytime you want. She'll come up to you and find you. And um, yeah, it's been really eye-opening, I guess, being able to spend more time with species that you don't normally get to spend more time with. Mm, Yeah, and I think that's... You go ahead, Devin. Yeah, no, about the cows. I remember one of the cows... 
sort of challenging me to play mm. like a dog like mm. the behavior that we know mm. from dogs mm. how they was that oscar you. that was oscar yeah, yeah yeah like he was sort of like hiding mm. and then jumping and it was it was really cute that yeah. was incredible i've yeah. never seen that before yeah yeah. yeah nice and it's also nice to be recording in person and be able to jump in without having that zoom lag and then like going back and forth as well so it's <laughs> nice to be recording in in mm. person finally um and yeah i think there is the um yeah a few important points there i think the one is that idea of like animal pleasure and we often talk about uh in terms of like animal pain and avoiding pain and that kind of thing but i think an important mm. thing from a more sort of rights like liberation like more radical kind of uh, end of the animal spectrum is is like animals enjoy their lives as well so their lives are worth living with not ju- we don't just have a responsibility to cause less pain and harm even though we have those things as well but also like preserving their lives as well i think is really mm. important uh the other thing i wanted to get into as well is um i remember hearing someone uh an animal activist talking about spending a lot of time at a sanctuary and the way in which there's sort of hierarchies even amongst the animals who are farmed and so mm. she was saying that she spends all the time with the chickens because whenever people visit the sanctuary they ignore the chickens Mm. and and hang out with the pigs and stuff like that Mm. and and like animals that are kind of closer to dogs maybe in terms of their size and that kind of thing and and like chickens are sort of at the bottom of the the hierarchy I guess and so have you kind of noticed that or yeah I guess that sort of hierarchy amongst farmed animals animals who are farmed I've definitely noticed Mm. that at other sanctuaries and when Mm. I've seen people visit sanctuaries I Mm. guess because working at the sanctuary Monday to Friday Mm. it's mostly been me just attending to what the needs of those animals are so Um, it hasn't really been factoring in that as much Mm -hmm. and the chickens do have especially because the ones that do have trouble supporting their weight we have to be checking their feet to make sure they're not getting bumblefoot or other conditions that are going to make it really difficult Um, their lifespans aren't that long anyway so um, yeah not not as much Mm. but um, like personally with the recent work at the sanctuary but I definitely agree with you I think there is that hierarchy within um, even within activists Mm. I, I know that people react to a a vigil for pigs mm. different to a, a vigil for chickens, for example. Yeah. Mostly, most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go to a song now. What are we playing, Trev? Uh, yeah, this is from my band, which is called Charm. We haven't been that active with COVID and the year before, but um, this is going to be on an album that we hope to release soon. But it's on Spotify now. It's called Postcode. Oh, 
Yeah, yeah, so I was going right on 100. The sun was just starting to go down right on dusk. It just jumped out on me. It's like it didn't even know I was there. The chances are it didn't. Because to Victorian wildlife, our road is just another part of their home. It's our job to drive safely to protect them. To report a wildlife collision, call Wildlife Victoria on 8400 7300. A safe drive saves our wildlife. Supported by TAC. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. We are joined by Devita and Trev, who are new uh, hosts of Freedom of Species, joining the team. Uh, we've been talking a bit about their background in um, activism and research and all those kind of issues. And we're also going to get on to discussing a campaign around Valentine's Day and ethical consumption in a moment. But before we get on to that, I um, want to hand it over to Davida and Trev and just let listeners know the kinds of topics you're interested in and the kind of things you're yeah, wanting to bring to the show and the topics you're like, likely to focus on. Yeah, yeah. So we had we had a range of ideas. Um, we sort of went all out. <laughs> um, no, what we what we what we're interested in is first. Uh, you mentioned intersection is is an intersectionality before, and that's something that we want to explore further. What can vegan animal activism do for other causes, and how how do other causes relate to vegan animal mm-hmm. activism? Um, that's something that we want to explore. Um, we're interested in. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in doing what's what we sort of termed a deep dive into an animal. Uh, for my research, I've sort of followed a few tra- tracks into what kind of animals I want to focus on. Mm. And doing so, you kind of learn about their behavior. Mm. And uh, that is so interesting. For example, sheep. You know, do you know mm. that sheep are matriarchal? Yeah, matriarchal. Really? And uh, mm. that's, there's just so much that we don't know about how animals mm. themselves behave um, that is between, you know, fully projecting our own, you know, like the anthropomorphism and that we mm. project our own experience of the world onto the animals. Mm. Um, like there's so much more that's just the animal experience that um, we'd like to explore um, and do a lot of research on mm. as well. Uh, so that's something that I'd be interested to learn in. And then um, Trev also mm. wants to focus on, yeah, well, Trev. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're also talking about... Um, I guess going with the first topic that Tafita mentioned of of tying in animal-related issues with other social justice issues, um, but going a bit further and maybe looking at current events and what's happening and trying to, I guess, um, because a lot of our mainstream news won't think of things through a vegan or animal liberation lens Mm -hmm. and maybe trying to do that a little bit um, and maybe leaning on other activists that are doing that and other outspoken prominent vegans and animal animal rights campaigners that are doing that and um hopefully that will help others to learn how to yeah critically look at the news and different issues and see what might be related to animal liberation that they aren't aware of or how issues within animal rights and animal liberation might be related to things like sexism and racism and ableism and other things like that yeah um so Depends whatever's happening in current events. Okay. Yeah, and I think that is really important. Think about alternative media generally of like doing topics that mainstream media isn't covering. I think is really important, but also I think giving 
covering stories that everyone's familiar with or many people might be already familiar with. The news is covering, but covering in a different way and through a different lens. And I know uh, me and Madison, another Freedom of Species presenter, did a show a while back on Miley Cyrus no longer being mm. vegan, but also tied it into issues around gender and consumption and, and all kinds of issues. And so I, I really enjoy that format. And we might, uh, we'll, we'll see how we go. I'll see what, I can't promise anything because uh, I generally <laughs> say we might cover this, this and this, and then we don't get to it, which is a good problem to have. But we might do that uh, later on in this show we'll see how we go for time but what we're going to start off by um, discussing here is a campaign around uh, valentine's day and consumption so do you want to tell listeners about that either or both of you yeah well um so next week for valentine's day uh, we're going to be on the saturday the day before valentine's day doing an outreach event in the city um if people want to hear more details and become involved um, if they join the Melbourne Cow Save Activist Group on Facebook. Um, Once they join that group, they'll be able to find out the details of the event. But um, it's going to focus around vegan ethical chocolate and promoting that for people's consumption and awareness around Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's not just the thing that we want to address with this outreach event is sort of inspire people to buy ethical chocolate and it's not it's not the case that all vegan chocolate is ethical there's a lot of issues in the cacao industry in the cacao farming um where there's child labor slave labor and um what we what we have done we have reached out to a few companies that are on the food empowerment project list uh, on the chocolate list um which is a great uh, a great list yeah, if, if people aren't aware, there's an app for both um, iPhone or iOS and Android, um, mm-hmm. as well as a list just on the website. And they've got what's recommended, what's mixed recommended for different reasons, who out of the companies they've been able to contact or haven't been transparent with them, and which ones they can't recommend. And it d- goes into a lot of detail about why, like what are the, the root issues involved in, in I guess, yeah, the, the cocoa farming, mm. in, mostly in Western Africa. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and we'll definitely get on to that. And I think there are a lot of issues of, I guess, in the vegan movement of equating vegan with ethical. And I think mm. veganism is an ethical thing to do, but also there are other issues going on, as you've touched on. But I think maybe to start things off for listeners who aren't vegan, I guess why you're promoting dairy-free chocolate and some of the issues with the mm-hmm. dairy industry, because I guess that's sort of part of the campaign as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's definitely the, the crossover between, you know... Um, being ethical mm. towards cows mm. and being ethical towards the humans that, that work on the work on cacao farms. Mm. Um, so mm. yeah, why we promote the dairy industri- uh, why we pr- promote dairy free chocolate as a start is um, yeah the the daily violence that happens in the dairy industry that people aren't uh, m- yeah not much aware of mm. um, or think it's acceptable that we that we tie up cows to such lifelong cycles of being impregnated against their will um taking their milk for our own good for our own purposes and then completely wearing out their bodies and their um personalities as well because they they hardly have any 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 growth in their own life yeah Yeah. i think in the industry it's typical for most um mother cows to only last about five years until their bodies are completely wasted yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. and the dairy industry re- is deeply connected to the to the beef industry um 
yeah so that's that's yeah the vegan mm. of course the vegan mm. approach is no milk no mm-hmm. no no cow's milk in chocolate yeah um and this is also something that i only recently become became more um open to um so that's also what i meant earlier when i said like veganism sets you on this path um mm. it it's the start of many other things you learn and mm. once you go vegan i actually never looked back because there's so much to look ahead to like mm. stuff that you need to be mindful of that i want to be mindful of yep. and that is and that's where the 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 issues in the cacao industry mm. for me came in yeah so with the um, with this this ethical chocolate vegan outreach um we we'd like to address both issues and it's such a it's such a great feeling to especially with valentine's day where people buy chocolate for the day after we're going to do it on the 13th of february in order to hope to yeah inspire people to buy chocolate on the for the 14th um you want to you want to share your affection you want to share your love with somebody through chocolate and it's such a great feeling to do that with chocolate that is actually lovable in mm. that way mm. so it's such a I, uh, yeah such a powerful i feel it's, it's a very powerful connection to to tell it fully with love through the chocolate you buy mm. yeah yeah and i remember like even when i see fair trade chocolate that does contain dairy i'm like well that's not really fair to the cows yeah. right so yeah. it's like yeah sure it's better that it's produced in better conditions for yeah. the workers but it's yeah. about bringing those two important issues together uh, rather than just focusing one, which I think also gets us back to our opening discussions around intersectionality, yeah. exactly what that means. I remember doing uh, a similar animal activism back in uh, Perth, where I'm from originally, and I, we were promoting the same thing of like dairy-free chocolate um, around Valentine's, I think it was. And I sort of came to that thing of like, do I promote like any vegan chocolate, which I guess is more the single issue as long as there's no dairy, or do I only promote vegan and more fair trade ethical chocolate without child labor and, and those kind of issues? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, if we are intersectional, then we don't want to promote vegan chocolate that is produced, you know, potentially under child labor or, yeah. or poor conditions, yeah. uh, equally as we would not want to promote um, fair trade chocolate that was produced with cows. So it's yeah. like bringing those two things together, I yeah. guess, is just like one fairly simple way of putting in that sort of complex theoretical intersectionality kind of idea. Yeah. 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 And the other thing I wanted to mention, I guess, is it's difficult to get the balance right in terms of consumption or consumption politics, I guess, in that we're definitely aware, and I think all of us are aware, but it might have been unspoken. So to sort of explicitly say that we're not trying to promote consumption or capitalism or the, um, you know, the excess consumption of things, or we, we don't think that the consumption of vegan or ethical products is going to fix the issue. Um, but when people are going to make consumption anyway, mm. so some level of consumption is inevitable for us to exist in the world. Mm. So it's when we're, when we're forced to consume to make sure that we're making the best choices as possible mm. with what's available. Yeah, with, the knowledge, with the knowledge you mm. have about, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. about, yeah. The, about the products. For example, I need to learn a lot about coffee as well, which I'm yeah, mm. keen to get into. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's for another time, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the the char- we have two amazing donations um, by uh, two companies that are on the food empowerment uh, list: uh, Cresho and uh, Plamel. Was it Plamel? Mm. Yeah. Okay. And Cresho is actually really 
great. I reached out to them and they replied immediately. Oh, you hit my you hit my soft spot. <laughs> Cows are my favorite, you know. <laughs> so they they've made a really great donation that we hope to you know share on the street with people for to, for them to try out. Great, yeah. yeah, and yeah, I think there is you know as Trev touched, like any consumption does have some environmental yeah. impact, etc. But it's about yeah, it's not having about not having no impact and and like being perfect. I guess is more about trying to make better choices when we do buy chocolate or or mm-hmm. buy coffee or whatever the case may be. Um, and yeah, we will make sure we put links up to the the campaign and also the food empowerment list. Um, on in the show notes as well so we'll put links straight up to those as well but in terms of like people getting involved in this campaign if they'd like to i did i did also want to say as well we're putting this show out on the 7th of february so it's good like listeners will they'll have time to consider their chocolate options they'll have at least a week or so to um yeah think about these issues before they buy chocolate for valentine's day but in terms of those i'm just going to jump in yeah if you don't buy chocolate that's fine as well we're not trying to push everyone to buy things for valentine's day but if you're going to buy, yeah. <laughs> make it a good decision. Yeah. And for anyone wanting to get involved in the campaign, again, Melbourne Cow Save um, on Facebook is, is where you'd go. But what kinds of things are you looking for people to do on the day if they were getting involved? So previously, we've had people involved who are handing out leaflets um, mm-hmm. on both sides. The leaflets come from a local group, Collectively Free, um, mm-hmm. Collectively Free Cooler Nations. And... Um, They've been able to have a locally based information put on a leaflet where the front side or one of the two sides is about the dairy industry Mm. and the other side is about the conditions of cocoa farming, mostly from Western Africa. Mm. So um, that's a really good way to to reach out to people and people are obviously going to be needed to hand those leaflets out to lots of people um, as well as different ways that we can entice people to try the samples for free so in the past that's been setting up a a stall as well as having people roving around with plates of um, samples for people to try um, and also some signs as well potentially to hold up um, making the connection between love and kindness on valentine's day and what do those values really mean and how to tie that into what that might mean with your purchasing decisions Mm. yeah i remember um a few years ago getting involved in a melbourne cow save action and it was uh i thought it was quite a good campaign in terms of being very inclusive so all i was doing was just holding a sign like Mm. about about the dairy industry and i thought that was really great for you know maybe new vegans who Mm. don't feel like they've got a response to every single question and of course there were people who were more confident to hand out leaflets and kind of talk to the public but it just meant that really everyone get involved even if you're someone who can't maybe do a march around the block for whatever reasons um, around ability and and access and those kind of things like you could just join in the campaign for half an hour or 45 minutes as well so I think yeah particularly those who might be a bit like intimidated to maybe do outreach and think oh if someone asks me this question I don't quite know the answer that i think mm. it's quite yeah people can get involved in quite an easy and i think sort of stress-free kind of way with this, this kind of action yeah, yeah. that's yeah. definitely what what mm. helped me in this in mm. this path you know as a newbie um knowing that you can mm. just be mm. at events or hold up a sign mm-hmm. before you move on to the more contact intensive uh, strategies yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and i guess there's obviously like most people in as much as veganism is you know quite a lot of people know about veganism most people do consume dairy in melbourne so you sort of could get that opposition but with these kind of campaigns do you ever get 
opposition from within the vegan movement about don't bring in fair trade issues? Have you had those kind of experience either with this campaign or just in general? Do you, is there sort of backlash there or not so much? Not explicitly don't bring in fair trade or anything. Mm-hmm. There have been people that question the need to incorporate this into it. They want to keep issues completely separate, which I guess ties back to what we were saying, what, what I was saying in the first segment of being aware of the blind spots or the current weak spots in our movement, which is that very single issue focus Mm. and being able to try and, I guess, inspire people to think differently and to realize that there are other things that are important and that we can hold space in our minds for all of these issues to be important and we don't have to compete issues against each other. There are ways that we can do it all together and I think we have to if we actually want to get anywhere because we're not going to get anywhere in terms of Um, you know, a future that we want if we're continually throwing one issue under the bus in order to get advancements in another. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. So we're going to take another song and then we're going to come back afterwards and discuss, um, yeah, some current news stories, which we kind of mentioned that style earlier on, but we're going to go to the song 40-Year-Old Vegan by... Chokuls. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, yeah, this is one picked by Devita. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything you want to say about it? Oh, it's a it's a it's a song that a friend of mine who is a who is a forty year old vegan um, back in Amsterdam uh, sent to me, and uh, I think I had to think of it because his experience in animal activism as a yeah like full on animal activist has really inspired me to also start thinking about other issues and becoming yeah I think he really helped in bringing out the militant voice <laughs> in me so uh, yeah. This is a shout out to him. They think I'm starving like I don't know what you eat. I beg your pardon, but I don't know what you mean. I got a mean appetite more than average size. No, I don't skip Alamo with the apple pie. Triple scoop, soy milk, a coconut. Flavors from vanilla cookie dough to mocha fudge. And boca burgers like word. Fake chicken fingers is the tip of the iceberg. No tree hugging stereotypes. I'm about to read a pizza. It's burial rights. I'll murder a slice. If we're sharing a pie, just skip the pepperoni. Keep the dairy aside. I know what you're thinking. That's bruschetta. Now nah, we got the soy cheese counterfeit cheddar. Hook up the nachos, guacamole tacos, avocado sushi, domo origato. What do you eat? What about meat? What about protein? What about cheese? Can you eat fish? Do you eat this? Would you eat that? Are you a demon? What do you eat? What about meat? What about protein? What about cheese? Can you eat fish? Do you eat this? Would you eat that? Are you a demon? I got my grub on. Would you eat that? Are you a demon? 
We're the Community Union Defence League. And we're a community organisation stepping up to support our communities and serve the people in building community power. We currently run two street kitchens in Dandenong and the CBD, where we provide food, clothes and essential items to the homeless. We're open to everyone and entirely community run, so if you're interested in donating, volunteering or just coming down for a chat, please check out our website at cudl.org.au or find us on social media. Atricia Supporta. Algorithms have become these gatekeepers to opportunity. They're already deciding who gets hired, who gets health care, how long a prison sentence someone serves. And what I didn't realize is that a lot of these algorithms haven't been vetted for accuracy. We don't even know how accurate they are. They often run on what's popular, and we all know what's popular isn't always good. And they haven't been vetted for racial bias and for gender bias. I had no idea the scope of invasive surveillance, the, the preciseness to which they can predict our behavior, and how vulnerable all of us can be to sort of predatory practices because of these algorithms. And so we need some protections in place as citizens. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Radical Radio. We are joined by two new Freedom of Species hosts, uh, Trevin DeVita. And yeah, one thing we haven't really got to, uh, and we're going to finish off by discussing, is DeVita's research. So do you want to talk a bit about like what area that's in and the kind of animal issues you're exploring in your research? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So I'll be, um, I'm doing a PhD on the bats, the grey-headed flying foxes here in Melbourne, um, and how they're continually wasted on the processes of capitalism, colonialism, um, but also taking a positive spin. Okay, what does bat care do? What do volunteer, volunteer wildlife rescuers do for the bats? And what can it teach us about a, about a, a new relationship to free-roaming animals? And uh, yeah, I remember like this whole PhD process has changed a lot because initially it was it would be a uh, India-based project, but the Corona, the Corona pandemic, uh, yeah, shook that up quite mm. a bit. Uh, but I remember reading the the project outline that my supervisor had written, and I remember um, thinking, "Wow, this is such a new approach to animals. This shows how." This embodies this project embodies how they're part of part of social life, how they're part of cities, how they're part of uh, the w- not yeah that's not just a human world but a but a, a very interspecies world and mm. oh yeah I remember the the excitement to be exploring that so lots of re- yeah lots mm. of uh, areas I tried to you know, find my own project in and I've landed on the bats. Here in Australia, who, um, yeah, they're 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 lovely. They're they're very they're very social animals. You know, they have this this social structure within their roosts. They're um, they're uh, you know they have this whole. They're primary pollinators of many important of many tree species in Australia that we as humans also depend on. Not only, of course, because of the air we breathe, but also the the whole logging um, 
the timber industry depends on it and um but it's you know finding a new relationship to bats who are considered a pest in fruit orchards for example mm. um where they in some instances they can be cold they can be they can be shot um uh it just yeah it's it's not their pest status that 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 is their existence it's we make them our practices mm. make them to make them into a pest and mm. that is something that, that that just needs to change that this mm. whole outlook and it's not it doesn't it isn't about veganism directly but mm. it is vegan in that it it sort of explores the the other approach you know how do we relate to wild animals and mm. um and that's also where I think the discussion we had before about intersectionality, you know, if if fruit growers can shoot animals, is that vegan? Is mm. the fruit vegan? You mm. know, that's mm. that's something where the, where, which, you know, it blows your mind. Like you yeah. only think veganism is, is milk or eggs, you know, free free of milk or eggs or meat. But it's it's so much more than that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. And what a time to be researching bats with the pandemic mm. at the moment. And so mm. this choice was pre the pandemic. Is that right? Or like you, that you chose to study bats? No, it, uh. it, it, it wasn't actually. It was only pandemic related because I had to shift focus from an India based project to yeah. an Australia based project. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so it, it sort of came out of the pandemic mm-hmm. but yes bats have have had a bad rep because of the corona um but the australian bats don't have that strain. no no, I, no. But, but no but i do think did i am i imagining this but someone was saying they were going to kill all the bats of the botanic gardens or was that maybe a while ago i know there was talk about killing them we've even had on the show about people protecting them mm. in the past but yeah i think some people have been like yeah, I guess just to, to in general, like if there's any potential issue, let's just kill them because mm. we don't value those species at yeah. all. I guess, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. The, the whole killability of mm. animals is is, mm. is very problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we might actually just bring in a a recent story which I thought was quite similar to this. Like again, the sort of the bats and and let's kill them, like rather than going, let's challenging the eating of them, which can be a a, a good way to spread disease and and those kind of issues. But we kind of put it like a hatred towards these animals and. And so there was a recent story, um, Joe the Pigeon, um, who was spared after a fake uh, leg tag showed that he's not actually from the US. Um, And I thought this was, and there were sort of discussions around, um, yeah, do we, you know, obviously a lot of coronavirus in the US and there was sort of, is it a biohazard having this animal in, you know, this bird in from the US? And turns out he was actually from Australia. So it looked like he was going to be okay, but it did prompt this massive discussion around, what to do and Andy medic from the animal justice party was you know campaigning for the bird to be quarantined so it's like we can still prevent the spread of disease but uh show some more respect for the animal and not actually kill them but i think because we we value the animals so little it's just like let's just kill if there's any chance whereas we wouldn't necessarily i guess do the same for humans when when it's in we have quarantine and and those kind of things as well um, and I also thought this was quite an interesting one in that once uh, an individual animal has a story, even just a basic story, there's often, I've, I've heard the same about pigs sort of jumping off a slaughterhouse track and everyone wants to save that one mm. pig, even though, as Trev touched on, all of these animals have their individual stories and they're all different. But once they become an individual, even if we don't know that much about them, they, they become an individual. They're someone with a story mm. rather than mm. just something. And it's interesting to see that there there is this... Um, yeah, big public campaign. Oh, there was this big public campaign to to save Joe, but not necessarily the chickens that people are eating, etc. So yeah, mm. I thought that was an interesting one. 
just one thing I wanted to mention from the article, I guess, in a way, like talking about that uh, connection between like human and animal issues, because there was, um, yeah, um, the Victorian health minister, it's a Labor uh, politician, Martin Foley, was saying they should save the save the pigeon, um, yeah, save Joe, um, and show a bit of compassion. And then, yeah, I believe it was Liberal Party was saying that, or oh, are you showing compassion for those Victorians stranded in New South Wales? Um, and yeah, not to make light of human oppression, but uh, I just thought it also showed the difference that they were trying to make that connection. But um, yeah, Foley from the Labor Party, the Victorian Health Minister, said, I'm pretty sure we're not planning to euthanize the people from Victoria who are in New South Wales. Uh, so I take great exception to that. So sort of saying you care about this bird, but not these people. But yeah, we wouldn't tend to go, well, these people are at risk, let's just kill them. It's like we could put them in quarantine. I guess Andy Medic was calling for the for the same thing for the for for the bird as well. But that's definitely you you hear that so much. Um this this but oh you care about this, but there's still so much wrong in other issues. Are mm-hmm. why don't you care about this issue? That's such a it's such a um it's a way to del- it's not I don't think it's a valid argument in itself. I think it's a way to delete yeah, to to make the 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 case under under consideration less legitimate. Um which um for example the whole Black Lives Matter approach, um people also commented why but there's still so many other issues like there's still feminist mm. issues that we haven't solved yet. How can how can we do this? You know mm, and, mm. and that's it's yeah it's again this single issue approach like of Mm. course yeah 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 and that Mm. actually leads us in quite well to this uh campaign um yeah veduary um pledged to go vegan this february um and so this is from a group who got in touch with us uh via email to promote uh their their campaign um, so yeah, Veduary uh, is a free month-long pledge campaign encouraging people to commit to vegan living during the month of February. This campaign is purposely situated in the month of February, Black History Month in the United States, to highlight the contribute, contributions of black trailblazers and the many be- benefits of vegan living in our communities. And it also celebrates, yeah, a whole bunch of, uh, yeah, black vegan, notable black vegans. There's a whole bunch you can explore on that page. I thought it was kind of really interesting of the, I guess, like overcoming that... Um, yeah, sort of stereotype of what the white vegan and, and vegans only 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 been white and yeah, the idea that there are plenty of black vegans but there are also issues around representations at animal rights conferences, etc. So I thought this was an interesting campaign sort of bringing together those, those um, two issues. And yeah, I just wanted to mention one of the notable black vegans for me uh, is on the website as well, but Angela Davis is one. And yeah, she's mm. someone who I was lucky enough to see speak here in Melbourne a few years back. And yeah, she definitely is probably one of the most well-known prison um, abolitionists and, and feminists and anti-racist campaign, but is also a vegan and often talks about animals being part of social justice issues and has also been outspoken about um, her own veganism and how that fits with her social justice and anti-capitalist ethics as well. So I thought that was, yeah, there's, there's lots on there and you can have a look on the website. Uh, the website is, could one of you two read that if you don't mind? I can't quite see it from here, but... Uh, yeah, that's Afro Vegan Society, which is all one word, mm-hmm. .org slash veguary, which is V-E-G-U-A-R-Y. Yep, 
Great, thanks. And we'll put a link to that in the notes. We'll also put a link up to the uh, Melbourne Cow Save Facebook for the event that we've been discussing, um, as well as the food empowerment list of ethical chocolate that is both uh, dairy-free but is also um, produced under better conditions for workers as well. Um, So... Just to wrap up, just a reminder to everyone that we're uh, one till two every Sunday um, and you can also catch up on all of our shows uh, via 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species. Um, you can also look us up on a range of podcast apps, including iTunes and Spotify. If you have any feedback on the show or even articles you think you'd like us to discuss on the show, etc., you can email us info at freedomofspecies.org, um, search us on Facebook, follow us on twitter at fos radio um just to finish up uh any final thoughts from either you and anything about the final song which is goldfinger open your eyes yeah i chose this song um this song i actually saw goldfinger play in 2006 back at the hi-fi bar which is now called max watts i think it's on swanson street and um i was at the gig and this is before i was vegan or vegetarian and before this song john feldman the lead singer who wrote the song he's he's an activist as well he said are there any vegans in the house and people put their hands up and then he said i um how good is lord of the fries everyone get on that shit and i remember at the time that went straight over my head because i'd I'd never even been to lord of the fries this was back when there was one store and i thought they just sold chips and so i was really confused i just thought oh okay chips like (laughs) chips are really good and they're vegan um and then during the song heard these these lyrics and um i didn't make the connection five years later i went veg and five years later after that i went vegan but um yeah really interesting to hear that he's been vegan for so long and campaigning like this for so long and now you know the the value of lord of the fries (laughs) (laughs) Uh, enjoy this song everyone and thanks to you both for joining me and great to have you both on the freedom of species team thank you
3CR podcast, produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.